Mr. Pop. And just to clarify, Ken, her dad was in the Marines, but only three of them. Welcome back to Rock and Roll. Yes. This is Rock and Roll, your weekly shot of sport and music with Kevin Hillier, Brian Mannix, and Mark Fine. I do believe all and sundry is ready to go now, so this is the official start of this episode of Rock and Roll, the final episode. People are going, oh, thank God, <laughs> uh, for 2023. And we're, we're a man down, a man overboard, man overboard. Um, I'm Kevin Hillier. Brian Mannix is here. Hello, Brian. Hello, Kevin, and uh, Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas to you too, Brian. What a lovely way to start the program. Hmm. And Merry Christmas to Kenny Francis, who's in for Mark Fine. Go, Ken. G'day, boys. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. Disappointed, of course, to be here because uh, fine, he's not. I- I'm always here because he's not. <laughs> it's like uh, I saw um, Red Simons when he was doing breakfast on the ABC interview Bob Spencer, who was in to promote the Melbourne Guitar Show. And he said, he said to, uh, to Bob Spencer, he said, now, of course, the reason that you were there is because I wasn't. <laughs> and that's that's pretty much how I feel because every time uh, I'm here, it means that Finey's not, which is disappointing. Well, let's explain why Finey's not here. And as we as we uh, well documented in a couple of episodes back, and Nat uh, hurt a foot, um, and that caused the cancellation of the Fine Overseas holiday. Mm. Uh, so that was that was you know calamitous as it was in all respects because of the holiday aspect and because of the the work uh, at Lenny's aspect and because Nat's been running the renovations and because she no longer could kick finding up the ass with the left foot. <laughs> um, so all those things got taken into account and then unfortunately today finally sent us an SOS. Uh, Nat's rebroken a foot by the looks of things and she's uh, as we speak there at hospital now working out what they're going to do. Probably they're going to have to operate on her foot, um, have it taken out of Finey's ass, and, <laughs> which, which itself will be a delicate operation, and then and then uh, fix, fix her foot up. So there you go. The perils of being married to Mark Fine. Which mm. is not good at any time, but you, know, you don't need that sort of thing right on Christmas. No. And as you say, with a holiday planned and, yeah. you know. So unfortunately, the holiday has taken the uh, the tumble for the worst. But uh, as so so is Nat. So let's hope uh, she's well. Fine, he's well. He sends his best uh, via text. He sent me a thing saying, "Tell everyone, Merry Christmas and thanks for your great support during the year." So we pass that on. Now, Brian, you've been busy, have I? Well. Uh, in a productive way for a change, <laughs> Phoenix. <laughs> the, the way Brian, when I say something like that, Brian goes, well, have I? As if, oh, shit, I'm in trouble. Um, no, 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 you you were obviously, obviously were just sitting around with the guitar at uh, at home in the penthouse and decided to build out a Billy Field song. Yeah, I'd just forgotten all about that song and it's it's a real beauty. Um, you know, I can't play piano, but, um, but it still comes up all right on the guitar, but... Um, yeah, it's just a great lyric, you know. I was in love with you, but you weren't in love with me. Wow, can't get pretty basic, but um, shit, true. It's, it's a beauty. I've always thought it was a much underrated song. That song. I think it's one of those songs when people hear it, they go, "Oh shit, I love this song. I forgot all about it." Yep, yep, I, uh, I totally agree. Yeah, which I like those sort of songs where people go, "If you find one, and it's like, yeah, people know it, but they've forgotten about it." 
and then when you play it, people go, oh, yeah, I like that song, yeah. And I know Ken will agree with this. Uh, I'm, I'm 100% sure Ken will agree with this. And they're the kind of surprise songs I would love to see radio play every now and again that they just don't do yep. anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, 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 there's no time for that when you've got to play uh, We Built This City 15 oh. times a day, so. <laughs> oh, Kenny, don't. Walking oh. on sunshine. Walking on sunshine. And don't forget, uh, Brian, when you're on uh, on the way home from work in the car. Oh, we're on a road to nowhere. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, dude. Look, uh, and... You know, I work in the industry still and I, I work on a music station and, and they're not as guilty of it as everyone else, but the, they are all still guilty. I, I just, you know, it, it is a great bloody shame that songs like that one, that Billy Fields song, and, and we could, you know, we could sit here between three of us in the next ten minutes and come up with a hundred songs. Mm, yeah, easy. Which which just has me scratching my head, you know, when a, a station reinvents itself or launches their new format and they're playing classic hits. It's the same stuff. Why would you play the same songs? Surely the people who choose this stuff don't get excited when they hear those songs. Yeah, you, why, know, you know they do. Why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you come up with a playlist? That, I, I know it's all research and bean counters and that type of thing now, but why wouldn't you come up with a playlist where you sit there and you're listening to the radio and you think, wow, this song, like the Billy Field track. Yep. Yeah. It just has me scratching my head. Yeah. And, and hence, hence the passion for listening to radio for a lot of people is gone. Yeah. Well, you know, radio used to supply you with, you know, pop music and rock music. You know, when I was a kid, there was only 3AK, I think, and 3XY playing pop music. And it was your way of learning, you know, what songs are coming in, what bands are becoming big. And it was about learning. Well, now it's all about nostalgia and mm. They're totally different beasts and I'd rather listen to new songs that I might not necessarily like rather than hear old songs that I know I don't like. Mm, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's it just a funny seems, one. It seems to be a no-brainer. And as I say, we know everything is a business now and everything is the bottom line, everything's about the dollar. But, gee, you know, just take a chance and you, you will get an audience if you start playing that type of stuff. That's the other thing that, that I have to say. This is what I scratch my head about. They say that there's no audience for it, yet I look at the ratings figures and there's no bloody audience for what they're currently doing. Exactly. You know, and yep. I'm talking about, I'm not talking about regional stations and all that. I'm talking about city stations who yep. have a 4% share in the marketplace. Yep. Now, I reckon you could turn the friggin' joint off and still get three. Yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah you could. So. If that if that one percent or two percent that you're you're currently getting because of the music that you're playing, imagine that you might turn that four into a six or an eight if you actually played something that was different to what everyone else is playing. I drove around today, I had a little quick little trip up the shop and back today, went through three radio stations and I heard uh, Midnight Oil, Dead Heart. I heard oh god, what was the one that Gold played? I was trying to think of what they played. Uh, well, a song that you know has been played a million times. And then I heard, um, oh, what's that? oh, that's how memorable any of them were. It, you know, <laughs> I can talk to Brian about Billy Field. I can't remember the three songs. But there are three songs that are played across all those three stations. So it wasn't one that I went, oh, yeah, only Triple M would play that one or only Gold would play that one or only um, 
double T or whatever it's called now, Kiss. Yep. <laughs> and, and Fox. And Fox is even yep. actually playing, a, was playing a, a, an old song. And I just thought, God almighty, all four stations that I listened to, bang, 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 all playing from the same box. Mm. So yep. uh, if, if one of them, if I'd have hit one and heard Billy Field or Blue Oyster Colts, Don't Fear the Reaper or something that I hadn't heard for a long time, I would yep. have gone, ooh. Hang on a minute. There's a, sta- there's a station up here called Rebel FM, and um, they seem to have a pretty good playlist. They play a lot of stuff that you don't expect to hear on radio. I don't know what their ratings are like, but um, it seems to me that they're the coolest of the radio stations up here because they play songs that aren't Walking on Sunshine or uh, We Built This City. Mm. Mm. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know them. Well, that's what I would get excited about listening to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I spoke to a bloke who's been in radio for a long, long time who has a, a Spotify playlist in his car um, when he's around now that he listens to the, I think it's 600 songs or whatever he's got on his Spotify playlist thing. He just listens to different versions of that as he drives along because he said, I know if I turn the radio on it, I'm going to hear this one, this one. So I listen to all the ones that I'm not going to hear. Mm. Yep. So, so the little bit of time that he is... And I'm not saying this. The thing is, not saying that a lot of the songs that radio stations play aren't good songs. Mm, yep, but they're not the only songs. That's it. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm a massive Skyhooks fan, but I never ever want to hear horror movie on the radio ever again. And it's got mm. down to the point now where it's become so narrow that pretty much all you'll hear from Skyhooks on the radio. On a on a rock station is horror movie or living in the seventies. Yeah. Maybe women in uniform. Oh uh, God! I wish someone would play women in uniform. Jeez, they'll, they'll they'll play it on Triple M Classic Rock Digital, but you know even then it's becoming limited. But yeah, see that, and that's what the radio people say to you. Oh, well, go and listen to the Dig AB stations, and you'll yeah. find. Well, I don't want to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if, I mean, if a so, station, if a if a if if a station played "Love's Not Good Enough," I'm yes. telling you, I would pull the knob off my radio and have it have it waxed onto that joint a hundred times, hundred percent of the time. Well, I've mentioned this before up your way, Brian. There was a station until it was bought out by Craig Hutchison and his SEN people. Oh, the old KQ. A station called 4KQ, which was programmed by Brent James, and they played Love on the Radio. And not for, you know, it wasn't anything significant. It would just come up in the playlist. They'd play Crazy Heart by Skyhooks oh, from yeah, nice. Straight in a Gay Gay World. Great song. Uh, wow. Love's Not Good Enough. Oh, that's my favourite. But not yeah. only Skyhooks, you'd get, you'd get TMG. You'd get John Paul Young. You'd get LRB tracks that you haven't heard for years. You'd get all the international artist stuff. And they would, you know, they would do 70s weekends and they would go through, because, of course, if you listen to radio in the 70s, one minute you've got Red back on the toilet seat into Led Zeppelin, into the yeah. Carpenters, and it was exactly like that. <laughs> you heard my show. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, and, and that's what I got excited. I live in Melbourne, but I listened to 4KQ. Because it was exciting. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't heard those songs before on the radio for, you know, for twenty years. So, but they just don't learn. Yeah. And that Billy Field track, Brian, you did a great rendition of that. It was good, Brian. Yeah, it was. Thank you. And a lot of people don't realise. A lot of people remember Bad Habits, but they don't realise that You Went in Love with Me was actually the bigger hit. You Went in Love with Me was number one in this country. Yeah, it was huge. It was huge and virtually now ignored. Like so many hits. Yeah. Which, you know, it, as I say, it just seems to be a no-brainer 
But no doubt if I owned a radio station, I'd run into the uh, the bean counters who tell me that you just can't do that. It's got to be I'd this way. Them. I'd sack them and do what I want. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. And I'd employ you, Brian. Well, you know, if you sack the bean counters, you've got to have an accountant, I suppose, but you don't want to make art by committee. So yeah. you have staff and say, right, hey, you're the DJ, play what you like. Yep. You know, um, yeah, just trim the fat and make decisions. Yep. <sighs> and, and speaking of programming as we bef- uh, were before, Kevin, uh, I remember there's been instances where radio's really slow to react. Now, for instance, the, the countdown tour that happened with um, Gavin and Molly and that huge touring entourage uh, was either the second or third. It might have been the second one that had um, David Payton from Pilot. Brian was on that, I think. No, I was on the first one. You were oh, on the okay. first. So it was the second one with David Payton from Pilot, who, of course, did January and Magic. Yeah. The reaction was so huge from those audiences in arenas around Australia when he did Magic. About a month after that tour, I noticed Magic start showing up on stations like Gold. Oh, really? Yeah. And I sort of like, you shouldn't have to wait to see a crowd react to know that that was a hit, that that would work. If you stick that on the the playlist, that'll work. See, it's not – when they do those auditorium tests, it's not a song that would be included in that uh, at all. No, exactly. Yep. You ever done done anything like that? (laughs) They're they're fun to do. I've done those. Just cut me out. I can't speak. What? Oh, Brian can't speak. Oh. Find his, find his missus has done her foot. Brian, Brian's what gone in done? the throat. What have you done, Mannix? Everyone's trying to get off this show. <laughs> hey? It's going to be the Ken and Kevin show very shortly. <laughs> Mannix can't talk. There are people who are now rejoicing all around Australia <laughs> who are going, hallelujah. Well, he's just no, dropped, this is some of, some of his best work. He's dropped out, so he'll, he'll, he'll definitely come back. Now, we're going to talk about... Uh, your men and women of the year. Now, I know it's a very short notice for you, Ken, to come up with your men and women of the year, and it's a bloody – I have to say, um, two weeks we've been talking about doing this, and now we're finally doing it on our last show, and, uh, God, it was hard. Not very easy. hard. Very hard. Not, not easy at all. And, you know, you approach it like, you know, do you do it lightheartedly? Do you send somebody up? Yeah. Do you actually take it seriously? And then I remembered what show it was. So. Correct. <laughs> So um, you've gone right to the bottom of the barrel, no doubt. Now, have you seen anybody good lately live? What have you been? What, you, what shows have you been to? Uh, Saturday night, I did catch uh, Bongo. Oh, what a surprise! There I went and saw go. Bongo's Skyhook show. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's really interesting seeing. I saw him uh, last month play at a Doncaster in Melbourne, Doncaster Shopping Town. I saw him play there a couple of years back, and I'd say the audience was pretty sparse. Yeah. But on this occasion, I thought, gee, because Doncaster Shopping Town is one of those traditional rock and roll venues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That we had one of those traditional beer barns. So it's a pretty cavernous venue. And if, if you haven't pulled a crowd, it's it's cavernous. You know, it, it feels a lot emptier than what it should. Well, I remember um, uh, Sweet played there years and years ago when they came right, out. Yeah. So it was, it's, it's been known as a rock and roll venue for a long time. Long time. So when I saw Bongo there a couple of years ago, the audience wasn't huge. And then he was back in November. And I thought, well, this would be interesting. Last time it was there, you know, it wasn't huge. In November, he was fantastic. I mean, the, the crowd was there. He, he sold more T-shirts that night than, than any other night. As we all know the, uh, the T-shirts are the important thing to sell these days. But um, yeah. he, he was fantastic that night. And I caught him again at Altona on the other side of town on Saturday night. The place was packed. 
What venue so in Altona are they using? He did the Altona Bowling Club. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so I've we're, performed we're apparently, Oh, have you? <laughs> well, I've done I've MC gigs there. Great venue, beautiful yeah, meals, venue. wonderful people. And as I say, the place was packed. So maybe it's one of those things where I think it's been word of mouth that that has really caught on. And, and if you have an act as iconic as Skyhooks, if you don't have that lineup, it's very hard to recreate what they did. Yeah. Because what they did, it was a very unique sound. As uh, Red Simons often points out, nobody sounds like Skyhooks. No, it's very true. And vocally, so, God. I mean, I, I know at one stage, remember Brian Leo say, told us that they approached him to to to, to be in the band uh, in place of Shul at one stage? Yeah, they wanted him to sing um, a bit of a, a bit of a Skyhooks one at the end of the uh, Countdown Spectacular. That's what it was, yeah. yeah. And um, I don't think he really got his head around it, but um, he's got the perfect voice to replace, to, to sound like Shul. I think... Um, you know, Bongo does well getting a girl to sing because it's so yeah, freaking it's smart. high. Yeah, it is smart. Yeah. So. I, was, I was actually driving the other day um, and uh, all my friends are getting married came on. I think uh, Magic might have played it. Um, yep. Uh, and and I just thought my when you hear Shirl singing it, you just go, my God, he was the most distinctive vocalist mm. of his era. And yeah. could sing anything. Oh, That's God, the yeah. other thing. Yeah, you you know, people often reel off, you know, and you'll see lists and the Rolling Stone have done them and you know, even the daily newspapers will do them. You know, Australia's greatest vocalist and that type of thing. And Shirl rarely shows up on those lists. But if you have a listen to the body of work that he recorded in his lifetime, you know, you've got things like Women in Uniform, which is just an incredible vocal. In fact, um, I was talking to his parents and in 1978, when they recorded that, he was so excited by that track that he drove home to Mount Waverley, where mum and dad lived, with a cassette and ran around the house to find a cassette player to play, play them to this him. new song because yep. he was just so excited about how good that song was. Yeah, you, you haven't listened to things like that. There's some of the solo things, which was really interesting when the Hooks were recording that uh, album that included Women in Uniform, was, which was a much heavier album with the aforementioned Bob Spencer replacing Red Simons. They became a much heavier act. Churl actually wanted to do a lot softer material, which is what he did on a lot of his solo Oh, he uh, did. Recordings. Every little bit hurts and that sort of Every stuff. Every little bit hurts and that type of thing. And there's some of those B-sides, they're really tender vocals. In fact, when I was at AW, we used to play a track at Christmas time, ironically, a track called Christmas Children, which was uh, like a double A-side single that he released as part of a Shirl's Neighbourhood Christmas special. All right. Both tracks were written by Mike Brady. So the A side was Christmas time in the neighbourhood and the B side was a track called Christmas Children, which is just this beautiful tender ballad about kids working in a sweatshop making presents for Christmas. And we used to play this on air and get people to phone in and tell us, who's the vocalist? Uh, and nine times out of ten, people would ring in and reel off female names. Yeah. It's Cleo Lane, Barbara Streisand. Rarely did anyone pick up that it was Cheryl. So he's an incredibly distinctive vocalist. Yeah. How do you rate think, him as a singer, Brian? Oh, very good. Very good. Um, he's, he's just got a unique voice. It's so high, and it, you know, um, and it's really good when you've got a band uh, with a really high singer because you're trying to get frequencies not to clash with each other. So your guitars are sort of all in the mid-range. So you find, say, with a heavy metal band, the guitars will be taking care of all the mid-range of sound. 
and the basses take care of the bottom end. But then if you've got a singer that sings in the top end, it doesn't clash with the guitars. Yeah. So that's Guy Hooks had because he sang in a different range to the guitars. So um, that works really well um, because there, there's, there's a uh, sonic space for everything. Which is why every every member of that band, it's kind of unique when I see when you've explained it like that, every member of that band had had uh, had a part to play, the, the, their role playing was really obvious mm. to, a, to a, you know, a layman like me just listening. Yep. You could you'd hear what Red was doing with the lead guitar, you could hear what Greg was doing with the bass, Freddie mucking around on the drums. You could hear all that stuff, all that interplay stuff going on. Yep. Probably because Sure was sitting above them, you know. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really interesting. On another level, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. When you mm. sing, when you sing another act's songs, Brian, yeah, with, with absolutely eighties, and you'll do a, a Billy Idol track and that type of thing. Do you subconsciously sort of inherit a bit of that character of that original vocal? Is it hard for you to approach it um, under your own style? Do you subconsciously like? Do you sing it as Billy Idol? Kind of. Um, I sing it. I look at, say, Rebel Yell, I look at that like, and I think it's kind of where Billy Idol was going with it, but, um, you know, it's going to sound egotistical, but I, I reckon I sing it better than Billy Idol. But um, You I did look it with at Tim, it, didn't you, on that album? Yeah, yeah. Um, I look at it like the verses are Elvis, you know, last night, little darling, yeah. dancing <laughs> my door, and then the chorus is Angry Anderson. We don't mean that out. So... <laughs> That's kind of my approach to that song. But, yeah, there's, I might start off, you know, copying the thing and then I'll sort of work out my own little tricks and my own little way of doing things. Um, well, I've got a follow-up question to that. So when you did the Britney Spears song. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Take us through the vocal uh, permutations of your interpretation of, uh, of that one when you did that with Tim Henwood. Well... That was a totally different approach. You know, the songs, the melody is still the same, but um, I think uh, my approach was more um, sort of like, yeah, come on, let's get it on, baby. Um, you know, because I think the first thing I say is, oh, baby, that's it. There's something like that. So Britney um, Spears does Barry White. Is that what you were doing, Charlie? <laughs> there's got a bit of Barry White in there. Yeah, it's got a bit of Barry White. I like it. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, I think it's sort of my version. The singer's hornier than Britney. <laughs> Fair enough. What happened? Uh, what about the cover version album you're doing soon of the Taylor Swift songs, Taylor Swift and Ed Sheeran songs? How's that going to go? Well, it's going to upset a few people because <laughs> I'm going to change the words. I'm going to change the melody and call it Taylor Swift's never before heard songs. Yeah. What about Ed, the red-headed uh, busker from uh, from parts there there upon, who's loved and adored in this country? I'm still scratching my head why. <laughs> oh, I like Ed. I think he's got some really good songs. I think he's got some good songs. Yeah. I'm not necessarily sure that he's the best person in the world to be singing them. <laughs> well, I think his singing's okay. His appearance in Game of Thrones seemed a bit uh, weird. Yeah, his. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm, I don't know. This his good songs are really good, but then the, there's a couple that are floating around at the moment. There's one what's called an American something, whatever it is. Um, 
I just the ones I don't like, I find really annoying. I've I've got to say, Ed Sheeran is one of those acts that okay, maybe I'm not the right demographic or whatever. I don't get it. I just don't get it. I mean, I can understand if you know he's got an audience, but look at the size of those crowds that he was oh, filling. Those hundred thousand at the MCG for God's sake. Just, and it's him. It's just him. There's no band. Yeah, he's it's making just a him. Fortune. He's making a fortune. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think it's because there's lots of really good love songs. And I think it, you know, uh, We Found Love, I think, is a great song. And um, I think that, you know, it really captures some people's hearts and then, bang, they're into it. Um, yeah, it's not about dancing, that's for sure. It's about... Yeah, that captured my heart, that lyric or that song. I can relate to that. I think that's the key. Because, you know, as you know, most bands, their biggest hits is always the ballad. Mm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and the X-Men are are case in point. Exactly. Um, But nearly every band, you know, um, ELO, I think, you know, Telephone Line was a far bigger hit than Do You or... um, Living Living Thing was a big hit. Lovely. Yeah. But generally, the ballad, you know, what moving pictures, what about me? Can you get a better example? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. true. You know, they're up tempo songs. They're like, yeah, right. Okay, but let's hear what about me. So I think he strikes an emotional chord with a lot of people, and that's why he gets the big crowd. Would it be the Rolling Stones' biggest hit? Would it be Angie? Would it be Angie? Well, no. No, I think. I, well, Certainly, a signature song is satisfaction. Yeah. Oh, geez, the I thought Angie, they closed. Angie was a number one hit, I'm sure, and 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 Wild Horses was big too. And they're not classic Stones rock songs, are they? No, no. But they've always done ballads well, and another yeah. act that can cover all genres. And the Beatles would probably be Let It Be or something like that. I would assume would probably be, or the Long and Winding Road would probably be their biggest selling singles. And for a long time, Yesterday. Yes, of course. Yeah. Hey, dude. Yep. Yep. Which is. Pretty, you know, yeah. Interesting you mention Ed because I've got a friend who works at the MCG in Melbourne and was not an Ed Sheeran fan, but was working at his events, but wasn't working on the final night. She was so impressed. Now, she didn't know a lot of Ed Sheeran stuff and wasn't a fan. She was so impressed with that show that on the final night where she wasn't working, she said to her 20-something-year-old <laughs> daughter, I'm getting two tickets and we are going to the final show. Oh, wow. So there's got to be something that obviously I'm not getting because, um, you know, she she knows her music and she was impressed to that point where she was compelled to go just as an audience member. So yeah. there's got to be something. I get bits of it. I don't get all of it. There's, right. there's some songs that people rave about and I just go, no, I just can't. I, it doesn't, it's not doing it for me. Mm. Um, but I'm a little bit the same with Taylor Swift, to be honest. She's the next one I was going to mention. Again, I don't get it. I've got to say I'm not a huge fan of her music, although I've heard a lot of tracks that I like. But what I see of her personally, I really, really like. As a person, I really like her. There's some great footage on YouTube, if anyone cares to have a look, where, of course, in America, their veterans are revered. And there's a fellow, and I think he's in his 90s, but he's a Taylor Swift fan. All right. And he, he, he's a former veteran, couldn't get to a Taylor Swift show, so on his 94th birthday, somehow Taylor Swift hears about it and she seems she seems to actually have a relationship with her fans that goes beyond, you know, just 
superficial. But on this guy's 94th birthday, she turns up at his birthday party with her mum and dad and turns up to perform for him in the lounge room, which she did, stays for about an hour, chats with him. Her mum and dad want to meet him because, you know, he's an ex-Marine and her father apparently was in the Marines and they want to talk, you know. And this was done without fanfare. Of course, video turns up because everybody's got a camera these days, so yeah. everybody at the party videos it. But these are the sort of things that I see about her that I like. And she seems a very genuine person. And, and to do something like that, as I say, for no fanfare. I and saw there, a there post, are many artists that do that. Yeah, I saw a post today that she made, uh, she played some place on the weekend or just recently and made a donation to their food bank. And mm. uh, the the amount is, is not to be disclosed. Uh, that was part of her deal with the, with the people. But um, the the quote was, "It's probably enough to feed five hundred thousand people for a month." Yeah. So I can yeah. only assume that it's somewhere in the vicinity of a million bucks or something yeah. like that. I would assume. So, as much as I don't get it, and I don't get the the act. See, see, Madonna. I understood Madonna. I wasn't a huge Madonna fan, but I can understand that there was something there. And it's that's something that I'm not seeing with Taylor Swift, but there is obviously something there because that generation gets it. Whether it's the oh, songs, God, the that. songs about heartache and hating ex-boyfriends—that's always the topical one with uh, young girls. Yep. But maybe she's connecting on that level. So, yeah, good on her. Do you <laughs> like it? Do you like a Brian? I would root her. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. <laughs> uh, she doesn't do it for me at all, <laughs> visually um, or sonically. Uh, just to clarify, Ken, her dad yep. was in the Marines, but only three of them. <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Welcome back to Rock and Roll. Yes. <laughs> Those of you who thought that, you know, we drifted off into some sort of sensibility there for a moment and some sort of caring and sharing and, uh, uh, you know, uh, we are the world uh, moment, kumbaya, holding hands, <laughs> sitting there. No, Brian's got us right back to where we're supposed to be. Good man, Righto. Brian. Righto. Uh, well, Taylor Swift was named Time uh, Magazine's Person of the Year. She was, yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, she must be doing something. Uh, you don't, they don't just hand that out to monkeys. So, good on her. Now. Well, Mickey Dolan's got one in 69. Did he so really? They do hand they do it out to monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Brian. <laughs> See, just when you thought we're going to be sensible. No, no. It's anyway. Uh, now, um, Brian. Because we're going to talk yeah. about the man and woman of the year, I think it's time to open up the you-know-what because there's a few in there tonight, unfortunately. Well, it probably is fortunate because there's not much sport to talk about this week, is there? Well, there's a little bit. I'll get to, oh, all right, I'll do the sport first. I'll do the sport right. first. Um, in, in some footy news today, Connor Rosie the, uh, from uh, the Adelaide uh, Fort, uh, Fort site, eight-year contract named as captain. The uh, captain's retired, Tim Jonas has retired, so they've named Connor as the captain and uh, they've also handed him an eight-year contract, not the only eight-year contract in the league at the moment. I think uh, Aaron Norton from the Bulldogs has got one. There's one other one I can't remember. Um, but an eight-year contract, he's 23, so he'll be 31. That's that's probably within the bounds of uh, what he can offer, but sure, we. Not bad. I don't know if I like- want a contract because... You know what? It, what looks like good money now in eight years might not be good money. Well, the the uh, players' association in all these contracts, I believe, if I've read uh, what I've read right, is that there are uh, increments uh, of increase in them based on what the new players' agreement will be within those times. So, because uh, they're they're about to sign a new CBA 
uh, uh, and that has an increase in it. So already um, blokes who've signed for next year and stuff are going to get that extra 10% or whatever it is that the uh, the bonus is in there. So all those little increments of increase are all all in there. So it's not like you sign a 10-year contract for $10 million and it doesn't change a cent. Oh, okay. It changes as it goes along, so. Oh, well. They've got a bit smarter with that, the old managers and the old bean counters in the football world. They've worked that one out. Mind you, I just saw, I saw another post uh, today where a Japanese, I think it's a Japanese player, signed for a major league baseball club for 10 years and he's got something like $100 million a year or something stupid. I think, though, with American sport, you can get dumped at any time. And you have a – most of those American sports have a payout – Clause, like an early termination oh, yeah. clause. So say you sign, say, for instance, uh, Kobe Bryant signs a contract with the LA Lakers for $60 million over five years. Mm-hmm. And at the end of year one, they say, this isn't working. They have to give him probably 30. Oh, really? Yeah, there's they, they, they certainly have those kind of contracts in them. I was thinking about like Jared Haynes and he – you know, that there was like a hundred of them trying out and he got it, you know, he did quite well, but then yep. stuffed up the first game. Um, but, you know, yeah, you, you're on the contract with that early part. Anyway, Kobe Bryant's probably different or LeBron James or whatever. But, um, but yeah, you know, you're, you're constantly fighting for your spot and if you don't get it, well, we'll see you later. Oh, yeah, no, they cut them. They cut them like there's no tomorrow. And then they'll re-sign, you know, someone will be running around in a league somewhere and he gets signed to an 11-day contract in the NBA. Um, so he's got 11 days to, to make an impact and try and get a proper contract. Um, mm. No, they, uh, you know, I mean, I think a, a bloke's just come back here from America, Aaron Sipos, who's coaching at Hawthorne. Uh, he got cut as a, as a kicker. And I remember when Sav Rocker was over there uh, as a kicker, I think he, he got bounced between three or four clubs in one preseason um, because they said, no, nah, you're not out, you're not going to be it. So and then he gets permission to go and train somewhere else and then he tries there and that doesn't work, then he gets permission to train. Yeah, it's 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 a lot more cutthroat than here. Did Anthony Bocker become a kicker as well? Uh, yeah, I think he did. Yeah. yeah. And I think Dustin Fletcher's two boys are having a crack over there. Yeah, Dustin's uh, – one of Dustin's sons is uh, – is, and, and I think Eddie Maguire's son's over there doing the same thing too. Yeah. I actually saw a report on the uh, American NBC Today show about Aussie kickers yep. and about how they'd come from AFL and how those, those skills transferred to the NFL, which was quite a lengthy story. It was yeah. about an eight-minute story on that. Uh, well, Darren today. Bennett was the one who kind of, uh, you know, was the template of, of everyone going over there in many ways. And he uh, he he got a 10-plus 10, 10 year career in the NFL, uh, went mm. to the Super Bowl, did all that stuff. So, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're very much wanted because you can – Kick one of those footballs, you're a very handy acquisition there. You get a million bucks a year to do that. Well, in that story, they were saying the Americans were astounded by the fact that, uh, and I forget, it was just a young guy who's gone over there, but he obviously his um, training was in the AFL. They were astounded by the fact that he could kick the ball and the ball was actually smothered, but he could run and pick it up and kick it again. And yeah. this was just an absolute revelation to yeah. them that somebody could do this. I was what talking to someone the other day uh, when Darren Bennett went over there, one of, one of the first games he played for the San Diego Chargers. Yes. He kicked the ball and then tackled the bloke on the re- the returning yeah. running back or whatever it was, is running towards him and he's tackled him. Well, he turned into the greatest superhero. In fact, he was Superman. 
They thought he yeah. was the toughest bloke that ever. I mean, yeah. and Darren would be the first to admit when he played AFL footy, he wasn't the toughest man on the field <laughs> uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but, yeah, they turned him into this sort of, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger type, hey, the Aussie bloke, <laughs> and he, he knocks them over as well. Wowee. <laughs> well, well, kickers are generally, you know, if Soft. you're the hot cheerleader, if you're the hot cheerleader you want the quarterback or the running back or yeah. the wide receiver, but, you know, you don't want to be going out with the kicker because he's like, no, he can kick the ball, but that's all he can do and he's not really an important part of the team. But um, as you say, Darren Bennett, he didn't just kick. He, I'll tackle a bloke too. You yeah. beauty. Good Australian um, in, in, intuition. Oh, yeah, he's Crocodile Dundee, you know, with a knife uh, on the, in the middle of the field by the end of the game. Um, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Uh, yeah, so those those long contracts, uh, that don't work. Now, we had the first ever BBL game abandoned um, because of the state of the wicket. They've never done it before in 500-odd games of BBL, uh, which has started, incidentally, in case you didn't know, um, in Geelong. On, uh, on Sunday afternoon when the Renegades were playing against Perth uh, because some water had got underneath the covers, made the wicket wet. They decided to start the game. They did. And then the ball started zinging around, looked like it was going to take someone's head off. So they went, no, nah, unsafe workplace, out of here. So they first ever game abandoned. The points have been split between the two clubs. And it's the call's been made for um, the, the same systems at all cricket grounds here to be put in that they have in England where that big thing comes out on the rollers and goes across the ground and covers the whole ground. Well, in um, the subcontinent sometimes if it gets wet, don't they just pour petrol on it and set it on fire? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that. Surely I've seen Am I dreaming? Yeah, yeah, that was the Kerry Packer uh, Castrol 11. Um, <laughs> Valvoline. Didn't last very long. Um, they just said Valvoline a lot and and, and set fire to it. Um, yes. Well, that'd work, wouldn't it? Oh, it'd work all right. Uh, oh, yeah, I'd watch it. Mind you, though, I think the call's I'm right. I think in this day and age the, and the money that's going around, they should be able to cover the grounds. And I reckon have the wicket on fire while they're batting and bowling. Now we've really got some. Yeah, we're talking. Uh, you know, should I run? Uh, the flames are a bit high. <laughs> I'm going to have to go right, right out wide and I don't think I'll make it. No, unfair advantage to the Perth Scorchers, I would have thought. Oh, well, there you go, yes. Anyway. And I, I don't have them when they when they run. I'd actually have them walking across hot coal barefoot. Yeah, there now, you go. The Adelaide, Adelaide could uh, to <laughs> do that. The Adelaide side would be into that. They have Nigel oh, yeah, Smart yeah. as a mascot. <laughs> yeah, that was successful. Wasn't or as we like to call him, Nigel not so smart. Um, <laughs> Perhaps you could have a couple of a couple of overs where you you bring out like a lap pool and <laughs> hit four, and you've got to swim down the other. There you go. Through croc-infested waters. <laughs> now we're talking. Yes. Yeah. And each team has to have a monkey on it. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, all across all that, I think, that's, I think uh, that's the extreme sports version of BBL and that, that'll get the crowds back. Well, if we, want to, if we want to sell this game to Japan and America, we're going to need to pull something out of the hat like that. There you go. The sacrifice in the virgin thing's not going to work, Brian. Okay, so that's that's not we're not doing that. Well, it's that's not going to work, Kev, because where we're going to find a virgin. Correct, correct. The game gets played in Queensland, so we just can't. It's not going to work. It just doesn't happen. Anyway, 
So there you go, the first abandoned uh, BBL game ever. Uh, sport on Christmas Day. Uh, do you want to see? There is some. Do you want to see more of it? You want to see like the Boxing Day test become the Christmas Day test? Brian, what are your thoughts on sport on Christmas Day? No. Um, I think if you have sport on Christmas Day, it'll take away from the Boxing Day test, which is a huge tradition. Yep. Um, and, look, you know, there's enough to do on Christmas Day without getting stuck in front of the TV watching some game of basketball or whatever. Well, that's what's um, on. The NBL have announced two games for Christmas, uh, one at 5.30 and one at 7.30. Well, you know, I think on Good Friday it's okay. Um, no, it's see, they're the, two day, they're the two days, aren't they? Mm. Yeah. Um, well, as long as it's not cricket, I suppose. But, no, I think, you know, you can probably give sport a miss for Christmas Day. NBL, NBA in America uh, run uh, like games across the entire day from one side of the country to the other because of the time zones they can do it. Um and it's massive. It is a massive, massive day. Teams, like, uh, are so wanting those spots on Christmas Day to be the, the, you know, the marquee game for Christmas Day. It's massive in America. Well, for them, it's probably snowed in and cold, so you're not going to be leaving the house. Whereas in Australia, we're out in the backyard, having a swim in the pool. And, Good point. Um, so, yeah, like, I know Thanksgiving, there's, I think, three games of football on for their Thanksgiving. But, you know, once again, it's getting cold over there, so they're in, stuck in the house having lunch with the family. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think Christmas Day, give it a miss. And Good Friday, maybe, you know, 5 o'clock, you can maybe play something then. Yeah. Uh, Kenny? It reminds me of that um, game that they played, the AFL game they played on New Year's Eve. Oh, the, when uh, Fev the, kicked the turn all the, the millennium. Goals, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. You know, that didn't uh, work and... I reckon no. Christmas days and so I'm a bit of a traditionalist. I like I loved Good Friday where everything stopped and just everything was quiet and the children's hospital appeal was on the telly and you know, that to me is Good Friday, but you need sport. You know, there's plenty of sport, but again, it comes back to like radio. There's a dollar to be made and that's what it all comes down yeah, to. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on Good Friday. I reckon though I mean I don't sit there and watch the whole bloody telethon uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but having a game at five o'clock, whatever it was uh, that they do now, and then going back to the concert thing afterwards, it's kind of ruined that for yep. me a bit. I don't, yep. uh, I can't get. I think, I, I think Dan Andrews ruined Good Friday because he gave people in my area two hundred and eighty-one days of Good Friday. <laughs> <laughs> nothing happening, nothing to do. Oh, and they reckon but, that you lost your memory, Brian. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> A no. chance of that. I think my I think my girl's just had to leave in disgrace too. Palace Sack or whatever her name is, she's gone the route of Dan, I believe. Well, I it, it time's up. She's decided she's had enough, and uh, Queensland's had enough, so she's gone. Yeah, I will. I will wait to see what the charges are and see if we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, open up the. You know what, Brian? Let's get to that, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to tonight's episode of The Deathalizer. Here we go. Going to start with one that uh, I'm not sure. Brian, you might. I don't think, Kenny, you're, you're not old enough to remember this television series. Brian might have watched this one. 
It's a very, very big show in the late part of the 60s, uh, over 100 episodes, over about six or seven years. And originally we saw it in black and white and then we saw it in colour in the last season, I think. But one of the original members of the combat team, uh, which was headed by Rick Jason, who was the lieutenant, and Vic Morrow, who was the sergeant, uh, the bloke who played Kirby in combat and all the people who are my age who remember going, oh, Kirby, he had, the, he had the special rifle. He was fantastic. Jack Hogan passed away at the age of 94. Remember combat, Brian? Saunders with Vic yes. Morrow. Yes. Well, I loved that show. And one of the things I loved about it was I'd watch it with my dad and my family has a great tradition of hanging shit on TV. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> started with my nana. Do you remember? Do you remember the Omo ad? That big, fat bloke with the white suit that used to talk to the lady about Omo. Yes. Well, he'd come on, and my nana would get incensed, and she'd go, "Oh, get off the TV, you fat blob, and get a real." Him talking about thing as a real job. Anyway, my dad was very much the same, and we'd be watching combat, and you know the Germans could never shoot accurately. You know they'd. They'd shoot 40 Germans to every one of them. Yep. And then one of them would get winged, you know, get caught one in the shoulder or the arm. And they'd go, Kirby, you okay? Or, you know, Kowalski, O'Reilly, you all right? And they go, yes, yes, Arch, it's just a flesh wound. And my dad would just lose his shit over that. <laughs> He'd go, just a flesh wound? You're out in the middle of nowhere. You're going to bleed to death before you get any help. <laughs> Just a flesh wound, um, the shock of the bullet would probably kill you itself anyway. <laughs> so just, yeah, but anyway, we did enjoy that show and um, obviously the work of Jack Hogan um, and all the boys in combat. Yes. Yeah. There you go. You know, two Marines, they could take out 80 Germans, no problem. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get stats on uh, on Jack Hogan's uh, performance in uh, thing, but I think uh, Kirby got a few because he had that special, like, extra, extra sort of winged, um, rifle. He was that one, and left-handed. I think from memory. So uh, yeah, memory well. Now uh, also, a couple of uh, West Indian cricketers passed away. Uh, Joe Solomon at the age of ninety-three. He was the man who was responsible for the two runouts in the tied Test in Brisbane in nineteen sixty. So he's very well remembered. Uh, he died at the age of ninety-three, and Clyde Butts died at the age of sixty-six in a car accident on the weekend. He played seven Tests for the West Indies in the uh, mid-eighties. Bit forgotten because he was in the middle, uh, sort of one of those people who drifted in in and out of the team when uh, Michael Holding and Malcolm Marshall and Andy Roberts and uh, all those blokes running around. Clyde didn't get much of a, a, a glamour look in, to be honest. Um, what was his name? Clyde Butts. Any relation to Butkus? No, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, no, also- no relation to Seymour? No, no, Seymour Nurse, the opening batsman for the West Indies, which I think is where all those jokes started. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, now, let's move Actually, on. Actually, didn't you have a sister? Didn't you have a sister called Ophelia? Yes. Ophelia <laughs> Nurse. Ophelia Butt. <laughs> I, think, I think briefly in Yoko's pussy for a while. Yes, could have been. Could have been. Bass player. Yes. Yeah, when... When Susie Wong got um, sick, she filled in. Yeah, exactly. yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was the class Vorman of the uh, of Yoko's pussy. <laughs> <laughs> no idea what we're talking about now. Anyway, 
Um, so, so those two gentlemen passed away. Now we get to uh, what I guess out of all this are the, are the big names, um, and I'll, I'll do it from uh, the youngest to the oldest. Denny Lane passed away at the age of 79. I was really upset with this one because I loved Go Now by the Moody Blues. It yeah, was a great. great song. Yeah, he got um, – I, I, I was a real big fan of his too. And um, I read this great article with uh, Jojo Lane in Hustler or Penthouse or something, and um, she was talking about what tight asses the McCartneys were. And um, she's saying that uh, Mullikin Tyre was written with Denny and Paul McCartney over a bottle of scotch sitting on his farm while Denny and Jojo had to stay in the barn. And um, Paul's contributions were mainly the verse. Oh. And, and when Denny approached Paul about it, I said, well, you know, hang on, I, I co-wrote this song, he goes, and Paul McCartney supposedly said, you should be honoured to work with Paul McCartney. Oh. So there you go. Yeah, no, he, uh, he obviously was a, a major contributor to Wings, but... Uh, uh, I'll always remember Go Now, uh, the Moody Blue song is really, really good. And, that, and the uh, the outpouring on social media from uh, from musos that he's worked with over the years was uh, was incredible, actually. Well, I think uh, Wings used to let him sing Go Now, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. They did, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah, no he's, he's great talent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great talent. And, of course, Linda's gone, so really Wings were the, the core of Paul, Denny and Linda. So really, it's yeah. only Paul left as that core artist from from Wings, and Wings were a massive band. Well, I think next year is not if oh, I think I'm right. Uh, next year is the fiftieth anniversary of the release of Band on the Run. I think they're doing a this big, year. Yeah, I think is it this yeah, year? Yeah, and they're doing that reissue. Oh, is that is that now they're doing that? Is it? That's now. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because um, who? Because uh, Jimmy McCulloch, I think, was the bass player, wasn't he? He's passed away. He's passed. Yeah. Um, Did he? Was he a bit of a smacky? Was he what? <laughs> A smack addict. Oh, I know. Yes, I think he did dry, uh, dive a, an odor, yeah. And I think the guitarist, one of the guitarists, or well, well, maybe Jimmy McCulloch was the guitarist. I don't care. I'm yeah, not he sure. yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Yeah, he could play, but he could party too. Yeah, so um, uh, that's, yeah, that's sad. Uh, yeah, it was sad. Yeah. Uh, at the age of 82, Ryan O'Neill passed away during the week. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I liked Ron O'Neill. I thought he was he was absolutely fantastic in What's Up Doc with Barbara Streisand. Was in Love Story. Yeah. Was in Peyton Place. Did uh, did terrific uh, couple of movies with his daughter Tatum. Um, Paper Moon, great. Sorry, Brian. Paper Moon. Yes, that's it. That's the one. That's a great film. That is a yep. it's a lovely film. That did she win an Academy Award for that? I think she did. I've got a feeling she might have. Yeah, I think if she didn't win it, she certainly was nominated for one for it because I think there was Ooh. that that rash of kind of uh, young female talent that was coming through at that stage and she was seen to be the the, the best of all the ones that were coming through. Um, I'm not sure I'm not sure how the relationship finished up in the end between him and Tatum. I don't think it was good because I think well, Tatum she was, married um, John McEnroe. Yeah, and, and she mm. went off the rails with, with John from memory and, because he had all sorts of custody issues and all sorts of um, issues with when they tried to get a divorce. I think she was she was in the out of control thing. But anyway, Ryan, let's talk about well, Ryan. He was eighty two well, and he passed away. You know what um, Tatum said to John when they were busting up? 
What? You cannot be serious. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. Waiting, waiting there for ch- channeling a bit of uh, Sam Newman <laughs> in his podcast. Um, oh, yeah. So at 82, Ryan O'Neill passed away. And uh, at the ripe old age of 101, oh. Norman Lear passed away, the uh, TV writer and producer and, uh, and mentor of yeah. so many people and a man who – who green-lighted so many great films and television series and wrote some beauties himself like All in the Family and Maud, uh, groundbreaking yep. uh, television they were. But I saw a, a post from Michael McKean saying if it hadn't been for Norman Lear, This Is Spinal Tap would never have been made. Um, and there's a, there's a, apparently a litany of, of films that, uh, that, that he was responsible for green-lighting, so a Hall of Famer and all those things, so one of the greats apparently. Now, let me ask you a question about Norman Lear, because um, All in the Family was, yeah, that was his show. Yep. Uh, Danny Bonaducci, his dad um, and him had a terrible relationship because he thought the Partridge family was just rubbish, and he was a writer, I think, on All in the Family. Is Norman Lear Danny Bonaducci's father, or just he just worked as a writer on the show? No, I think he just worked as a writer on the show. He's, I suppose he, his name would be Norman Bonaducci otherwise, wouldn't it? Would yeah. have thought so, yeah. Stupid question, Brian, okay, move Thanks. on. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> just when you thought we are going to get all – no. Um, yeah, so Norman Lee, uh, uh, yeah, the uh, the outpouring from all sorts of people involved in the industry from, as I mentioned, Michael McKean uh, through to um, – uh, what's his name? Um, oh, his name's just gone completely out of my head now. I can see his face. Who did Solomon? But Mel Brooks and all those people have all oh. jumped to Norman Lear's, um, give him great, uh, great write-ups and great memories and attitudes. So, I'm always sad when I hear of a passing like that because I think, who's coming along to replace those type of people? And I, I don't <laughs> see... Yeah, I don't know, to be honest. Who's going to be brave enough to tackle racism in a comedy? Wow. Mm. You know, that's – no one's going to try, even risk that today. Oh, no. I'm, I'm backing it won't be the Wayman brothers. Um, <laughs> I would have thought. Um, mm. Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, it's interesting because um, those kind of shows now um, – are being made and being put on on streaming platforms, and I'm not sure they're having the the impact. Yeah, if they are being made, they're not having the impact that being on at you know eight thirty mainstream television right across middle class America and Australia mm-hmm. and England, bang in your face, and you're yeah. going whoa. And and I saw a lot of posts from a lot of women about Maud and how important Maud was as a TV show for feminism and for for and for women in general. Um, yep. So yeah, I, I don't know. Um, it was a more subtle way of kind of not manipulating, but educating. Yeah, educating and just getting that message out there. Yeah, as opposed yeah. to now where we we literally take a baseball bat and slam you over the head with it. That yep. you know, don't touch me, don't look at me, don't ogle me, don't uh, uh, bang. Yeah. Okay. Fine. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it gets back to what we were talking about earlier with radio in that TV, you got all these committees just trying to please everybody. Mm. And if you try to please everybody, you know, it's like the boy and the donkey and the dad, you know, no matter what they did, the people were hanging shit on them. 
Um, so don't try to please everybody. Just no. please yourself. And I think the best art, um, like, you know, say, look at, say, something like Kath and Kim. Well, Kath and Kim sat down and wrote it. It wasn't like nine people writing it. They just sat down and wrote it. Um, you know, Dawn and French, they've sat down and wrote it. You don't yeah. have nine or ten writers, you know, all disagreeing and trying to make sure we've got to get the elderly people on board, we've got to get the youth on board and then you just end up with a pile of, you know, shit. It's just a blend of crap. That's that's more the American and the and our system and uh, and the English system. You watch a lot of the European stuff, and it doesn't look like they adhere to any of those <laughs> principles whatsoever. They make stuff that uh, they think should be made, and you like it or you lump it. Yeah, hang the consequences. Yeah. yeah. Well, I like a French movie. There's always a set of tits floating around in there, <laughs> and there's lots of smoking. <laughs> Oh. And there's, lo- there's lots of pauses like, so, are you coming to bed? About five drags of the cigarette? No, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, lots of gaps, you know, like yeah. people take time to work out what they're going to say. Patience. And South Korea, South Korea makes some great movies and Japan does too, you know, because they do a movie like, I've got a gangster movie and now there's ghosts and gangsters mixed together. Well, okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, follow your, follow your heart, follow your guts, fuck the committee. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I, I, and I think there's a lot of, uh, particularly with sitcoms now, the ones I, I do occasionally sample and have a look at, you go, oh, you can see where seven people have sat around and come up with uh, they've topped that joke, that joke, that joke, and now we'll do this joke. And it's like, oh, mm. okay. Yeah. yeah. It's a parade of one-liners and the story's almost secondary to the, you know, the one-liners. And the best shows like, uh, what's that Ricky Gervais one you like, Kev? Um, the which one? The Ricky Gervais one. Oh, yeah, Afterlife, beautifully written. Yeah, it's about the story and then the people happen to be funny mm. rather than let's have some funny people and have a story as an afterthought. Um, which, which is more like what real life is. Even stand-up comedians... God knows, most stand-up comedians are the most miserable bastards you'll ever meet in your life. Yep. <laughs> They're not exactly running around the house going, so these two men walk into a bar. <laughs> you know, um, the ones that are doing that have, have last about three minutes, but they're, they're actually quite like Ricky Gervais. He's an incredibly good stand-up comedian, but then he can sit down and, and write that afterlife mm, yeah. and you go, bloody hell. Mm. Um, yeah, there's more to, you know, than boom tish. Well, you know, Frontline's the same thing. It's, um, you know, it's it's about a show like A Current Affair. Yep. And the characters happen to be funny. But essentially it's about a current affairs show, not Mike Moore is a dickhead and he happens to have a show. It's about Mike, a TV show and Mike Moore is a dickhead. Well, you is know, that- it's like when you sit around an office and, and, you know, and I'm sure, and I've never watched The Office, but I'm sure that's exactly what it's about. You sit around an office with five other people and you'll finish up taking the piss out of each other and someone's yeah. someone's the funny one, someone's the serious one, someone's the sook. Yeah. <laughs> someone's the narc. Yeah. And someone's yeah. defend. And someone's Brian. Yeah. And you just, you know... <laughs> No, if I'm in the group, then someone's offended. So yeah, you're correct. Yeah, yeah. And we're all off to HR. Yeah, exactly. Oh God. 
Occupational health and safety and human resources, (laughs) uh, seriously. Anybody ever seen a bloke that works for HR? No. No. Sexist. HR, I remember saying that to sports vet going, so is there any guys that work here? (laughs) They go, no. Uh, And I said, said, that's a bit sexist, isn't it? They go, well, we're getting one. Thank you, Nick Friday. You know, if it was all men, you'd be bitching like hell. But, you know, maybe women are better suited to HR than men. Well, yeah, probably. I don't know. I know a few women that are best suited to HJs anyway. Righto. Let's go into the man and woman (laughs) of the year. Hang on, hang on. I haven't shut shut out the death of lives. Oh, have you? Oh. Hang on. We, oh, sorry, normally, yeah, no, you're right, Brian. We haven't closed it. Close the death of Brian, before someone carks it. dead and all of these people we've spoken about. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, disregard the last few names because this show was concluded five minutes ago. Yeah. That concludes the death of We may have worn some, some things posthumously in this episode. <laughs> Well, like you're famous it. for doing that, naming people they drop dead the following week. Yeah, so, I worry about yeah. that. Oh, <laughs> look out anyone we just mentioned I'm, in the last five I'm, minutes. I've always worried about, you know, killing people off who aren't dead. But then, you know, then when you talk about someone in the next episode, you've gone, oh, well, in the death of this week is you know, John Smith, who we talked about last week. Oh, God. Oops. <coughs> <coughs> We've uh, killed off about five people that weren't dead, haven't we, over the No, years? we did. We did uh, at, at the beginning of this podcast uh, series, which is about 300 episodes ago, nearly. Um, yeah, we did. We had a tendency to um, to go, oh, yeah, so-and-so. No, he's dead, isn't he? Yeah. And then we'd rabbit on about him and find out later he was alive. Yeah. <laughs> Through his lawyers, of course, but never mind. That's, yeah, I think we had know. Julie Andrews dead for months before we realised she was alive. Yeah, but then, anyway. And you kept digging up Doris Day. Um, <laughs> oh, Doris Day. <laughs> God. No, we did kill off a couple of Aussies that that, that did upset us because um, people would ring me and go, you know he's not dead. No, he is, isn't he? No. He's <laughs> living in, it you was- know, Griffith in New South Wales and he's fine. Well, you got a name. I just heard the headline, Izzy died. I said, oh, well, Izzy died. <laughs> no, he did. So I, saw some photos of Izzy, I saw some photos of Izzy on Facebook during the week doing a, doing a show at the Morning Melody show somewhere. He looked fantastic. He's a lovely bloke. He, he is, is a lovely fellow. He is. Good fellow. I'm All glad right. he's not in the blackface, L. John. When are you, when are you going to start doing Morning Melodies? I can't wait. I mean, your swing, your swing show that you did with uh, Willie and uh, – and Scott, you, you know, you're getting there. You're inching. You're inching towards morning melodies, Brian. Well, I'm, I'm happy to do morning melodies. Where you know, will we be in fifty years? <laughs> Tuesday, eleven thirty. And the beauty of morning melodies is, like, you know, you, you immediately think of it. You think, oh, I'm going to sing the White Cliffs of Dover, and <laughs> we'll meet again. And, and that's not right. No. Um, I remember walking past the Lawn Bowls, and there's all these people seventy playing the Lawn Bowls, and they've got the doors blaring. Yeah. At the doors. I think, oh, hang on. Yeah, these people would have been 17, 18 Brian, when the doors came. You could do a swing version of Love Her Madly. Don't you love her madly? Imagine that. I don't think you'd even have to do that. I think you'd just go and play Rolling Stones and Beatles songs all, Arvo, and they'd be happy. You could. You know, um, they're baby boomers, so they're into rock and roll yep. and stuff. Yep. Not I'll the, tell you, 
Sorry, Brian. I'll tell you what really worked, which was um, Scott's recent show just a couple of months back at the Corner Hotel with the Kids in the Kitchen reunion on a Sunday afternoon where the band oh, yeah. was on around about 1.30, 2 o'clock. Great idea. I thought, oh, this will be interesting to see how this goes. It was packed. Wow. Because that age group, you know, they could uh, either go along and have lunch at the Corner Hotel before the gig, see the gig, get home, no babysitters, everything was cool. Or you could stay on and have a meal and still be home, you know, by eight o'clock at night or something on a Sunday. It was it was perfect. It really worked. Oh, so, okay. Um, I think day gigs are a great idea. I reckon yep. day gigs are. I'm not not I'm not overly wrapped with morning mellow. I don't mean eleven thirty in the morning, walking into some you know Don Doncaster Inn or something at eleven o'clock in the morning. <laughs> the stench from the night before on a Sunday morning, going, oh Jesus, hang on a minute. Oh, she's a bit Jack Daniels underfoot. Um, and then, you know, listening to Brian uh, croon his way through, you know, Love Her Madly and uh, and 50 Years. Uh, but I reckon 2 o'clock, have lunch, have a bite of lunch somewhere and then go and watch a band for a couple of hours. It'd be like yeah. going to a movie. Oh, it's great. It was, it was perfect. It yeah. worked. I love it. Yeah. Packed. I think the future for, for me and Scott and, and the likes of us um, is you go and do – little regional theatres. Yep. Uh, and because there's a whole lot of people that really love music, but they don't want to go and stand in a pub with drunks and, yep. you know, they want to sit down, watch the show and listen to the music. Yep. And, you know, that Wilbury show that, you know, COVID killed that I was doing with Nick Barker and Scott Darlow and J.R. Rain and all that, you know, I was thinking this show, if we were doing this in a pub, we'd probably get 120 people. But you do it in the theatre and there's 600 people there because it's a nice environment for them. It's about the music. It's not about trying to get a root or get pissed. Um, you know, they still have a drink and stuff, but it's it's a lot more civilised. And I think that, you know, as people get older, they don't want to go to pubs, um, you know. Yeah, yeah no, I've, I've right. got friends. I've got friends who won't go to pubs simply because they just don't want to stand for an hour. Yeah. They don't want to sit down. Yep. Exactly. Yep. And, if you go to a pub and you sit down, chances are you're not going to be able to see the band. Mm, yeah, exactly. Yep. And yep. I like this because they're sitting down. They're not. It's not about dancing. So, oh, well, we can drop a couple of songs because I'm going to crap on to the <laughs> shit. <laughs> the other thing too is you do those little. You, you find those halls in some of those terrific, um, uh, you know, regional centres. I mean, Geelong's got a, a, about two or three fabulous. Um, yep. Venues there that they could use, including their art centre. Um, uh, Werribee's got a, a you know a cultural centre that's got a magnificent stage on. There's a couple of lovely little clubs around here and stuff like that. They're the they're the sort of places that you could do easily. I, I reckon that's a great idea. And most most regional centres like your Ballarats and your Bendigos and your Wonthaggies and all them, yep. they've all got little a little got art centre now. Yep, uh, yep. You know which has. The art show on, but if on a Sunday afternoon you wanted to whack in, you know, you and Scotty and Dale doing doing some songs, I reckon that'd go well. Yep. Yeah. Well, you know, Mooney Pogs has got the clock tower thing. They hold yeah, about yeah, five. Yeah. Um, I went to some amateur theatre up here, and um, geez, you know, there's not much difference between amateur theatre and professional theatre. They're, they're so talented. Yep. But the little theatres, you know, five hundred people, bang, it's an event. Um, yeah, I think that's probably something that I need to get more into. What's that Northcote venue that um, that everyone raves about? That's uh, that a lot of a lot of uh, acts are playing there now, and I, can't, I think it's I think it actually might be called the Northcote Arts Centre. Um, well, there's the Darabin Arts Centre. 
Yeah, that's, which be, that's further out, isn't it? That's uh, up in the Manningham area. But, you know, these theatres, they're, they're first class. Oh, you, know, yeah. they're, you know, they spend it. Actually, St. Bernard, you want to have a check out their theatre. It's good. Oh, it's magnificent theatre. And, of course, there's no picture of me out all the other blokes from, <laughs> from um, St. Bernard's has done heaps of musical theatre. No, we're, they've got we're back on that again, are we? Of Hayden Kennedy bouncing a ball or Mark Lahane who played 100 games for Essendon Cricket Club. You assholes. You know, what about somebody that actually worked in theatre around your foyer in the theatre? An old boy. Nah, pricks. <laughs> okay. There you go. Glad we brought that up. Yeah. And it's St. Bernard's get oh, their theatre, okay, yeah. See, they look like my son's school is a great theatre. They got a, they, they could they well they hold um things there. The, the local um one of the other local colleges here is a fantastic theaterette. Um all those places they don't get used as much as they probably should. Yeah. There you go. Uh, there you go, Brian. There's your project for twenty twenty four. Well, you know, I think I'm doing a little bit of that, but anyway, yes. Put together yeah. some shows that you could take around to those kind of theatres, not your not not your pub show, the ones that you nah. can take to those sort of theatres. You do like a documentary, you know, like The Man in Black and um, those shows where it's, you know, they they give you the – it's like a live documentary of the guy's life. Oh, well, that it's lovely good. show that uh, that Wendy and uh, and Grace do, the songs of uh, Simon and Garfunkel. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and they probably sit there between songs saying, Paul, Simon, first man, Art, Garfunkel, yep. and blah, 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 blah. Yep. And, you know, those shows are good. Jimmy Webb just sold out two, um, two shows, one in Sydney, one in Melbourne at the Recital Hall, and basically what he did was a list of about, I think it's about 14 songs, and he chatted about the stories uh, around the songs, about, you know, Frank Sinatra did this and uh, that Frank Sinatra recorded, didn't we? And then I did this song with, you know, uh, with Richard Harris and then, Ben Campbell, and he just sat there and told some stories and played some songs, and uh, people are raving about it. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it's – I think there's a big potential for that. Yeah, um, yeah. I agree. Absolutely. Well, agree. That's enough serious stuff for There us. you go. Right, <laughs> oh, Brian, can you mention the word boobs? Boobs? Yeah, well, we're going to do the women of the year. Ah, oh, Wow. Here we go. This could this could, all right. this could all of a sudden get untidy. <laughs> uh, apologies from Mark Fine. We'll find out uh, when he returns uh, in 2024 who his uh, man and woman of the year is. <laughs> uh, I have to say his long-suffering wife uh, and suffering uh, quite a lot at the moment uh, would be up for an award. Now, who have you got, Brian, as your woman of the year? Your the, the number one woman or the number two or we're just doing one? How many? How many have you got? I've got two. Okay, well, give us two and one. Give us, give us your two. My number two, and I was thinking, uh, thinking, uh, I was thinking that, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> number two. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, we're almost adult for a moment. I, I forgot we're yeah. Um, I was going to give it to Sam Kerr, but then I thought, nah, Caitlin Ford and all them, and I just saw Arsenal beat Chelsea. Um. So I'm actually going to say my number two woman of the year is women of the year, and I'm going to say the Matildas. I thought oh. they are great and, you know, they didn't win, but they they never let us down. They never embarrass us. Um, so, yeah, they're uh, my number two, the, the mighty Matildas. All right. Who's your number one? 
My number one. Yeah. Well, um, it's not because she's a spunk. Oh yeah. It's no, 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 no. I get a, I get a bit jack of this. You know, I, like my daughter. Everybody goes, "Oh, your daughter's so beautiful." And yeah, she is. But she's also smart. She's also funny. She's a great singer. She's a great dancer. And so, with that in mind, I'm going to pick Margot Robbie. Oh, okay. As my number one female of the year because. See, I've seen the start of the Barbie movie, and this thing could have been dreadful. But I was actually quite enjoying it, and um, and I, I really respect the fact that she's not just an actress; she produces stuff. Like I, Tonya, I think was nominated for best picture. I might have won. I think she was nominated for best actress in that. Um, but I like the fact that she produces stuff. Um, and she gets shit made, and I think she's a brilliant actress. Like I think uh, her performance of Harley Quinn in uh, the Suicide uh, Suicide Squad was amazing. Um, so yeah, I think she's a great actress. She's a great entrepreneur. She's a great producer, and um, you know she knows she can. Unlike Nicole Kidman, she can pick the right movies to do. Okay, very good choice. Yep, very good choice, Kenny. I know. Now we should point out it was very short notice that we gave Ken uh, a the topic and b being on the show, uh, and he's done remarkably well to be with us, and we love having him on the show. Oh, thank you. Well, well it was a bit of a no-brainer for me. I've got to say, have you had you asked me last week? My answer may have been different, but uh, in light of the latest news, now my woman of the year, this woman, she's the master of the photo op. In fact, uh, I'm wondering how she ever gets any work done because she's. She's at the opening and <laughs> launch of every single event I ever see. She's someone who's mastered the art of the ratepayer-funded jaunt. And this woman came to office promising to cut spending in certain areas and walk to events and take public transport and even ride a scooter. Yet it's this week revealed she spent more than $30,000 on limousine travel. Oh. Takes a special kind of person to uh, not see the hypocrisy in their own action. So my vote for Woman of the Year for 2024 is Melbourne's Lord Mayor, Dally Cap. Ah, oh, there yeah, you go. But- Controversy from Kenny. Nah, good one, Ken. Yeah, no, nah. it's a very good call. It is a fair disgrace. She's killed the CBD. Yep. Those stupid bike lanes and yep. crap. And oh, no, nah. no, 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 I think it's probably a bit much to blame her for the bike lanes and that. I think she's she's uh, culpable in not fixing some of those things, but certainly uh, she didn't put the bike lanes in. I think she put a few in, hasn't no, she? No, well, she might have put a few extra ones in, but there were certainly uh, heaps of bike lanes before she became Lord Mayor, so I don't think you can blame her for all of them. She should have ripped them out. Well, yeah, no, reckon- you've probably got a very valid point, uh, Kenny. Is, is there a, a, a runner-up? No. No, just Sally on her own, fair enough. Because <laughs> I'm looking at the time and I'm thinking, no. No, 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 that's fair enough. Um, my woman of the year, uh, very similar to Brian's, except I'll, mm. I'll go I'll go exactly like Brian, but different. My number two would be not the Matildas, and I and I decided on going uh, not for Sam Kerr or, you know, uh, one of the Mary Fowler or one of the individuals who, who did so much or the girl who kicked the, the penalty in the end that won or the girl – uh, you know, the goalkeeper who saved. I, I went for another team. I went for the Diamonds. 
is my oh. number two. The Diamonds, our netball team, they won everything. Like eighteen yeah. months, eighteen months, two years ago, they were at the they were feeding them at the bottom of the well, and they weren't looking good. They'd lost the Commonwealth Games, they'd lost every trophy that we were supposed to win. We didn't win, so they were they were in a rebuilding phase. They got a new coach in, all that stuff, and now. They have every trophy in the world in in the cabinet because in the last 12 to 18 months they've won Olympics, they've won Commonwealth Games, they've won World Championships, they've won Trans-Tasman, they've won the English title, the Rose Cup, whatever it's called. They've won the lot. They've won the Fast Five thing about three weeks ago. And, and not only have they won the lot, Kev, but they stole the World Cup trophy, they've got the Ashes. Yep, got- yep. They've got them all. They've got the AFL Grand Final Cup. The Vince Lombardi Trophy from the NFL is in the Diamonds uh, yep. Trophy Cabinet. Yep, yep. It's all the, the Melbourne Cup's in the Diamonds Trophy Cabinet. So is the horse. <laughs> <laughs> That's how good they are. Not only did they they've win got, all they've that. Got, they've got Farlop's pancreas yes. in a guard. <laughs> yes. the AFL yes. Final. How is that with Farlap? You go to Melbourne... And you can see Farlap stuffed. You go to Canberra, you can see his giant heart. Like what? what we got his long intestine over in Adelaide, and his pancreas. Well, in he's, Perth. he's a Kiwi, remember? So there's a bit of him still over there. Oh, so his balls are in oh, whatever. Could be. Could be. Uh, so yeah, the diamond. Well, not only the diamonds won all every trophy imaginable, but they also then uh, broke it an exceptionally, which is only uh, about a week or so ago. They did this. They broke it a a pay deal that will make it possible now for um, uh, women who play netball to actually make a living out of it, uh, mm. seeing they represent their country and travel around the world and do it on a shoestring. Um, yeah, uh, no, so we we don't want that. That's not good. We don't want to make a living out of netball. No, 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 no. We want to keep them fired up and hungry. Right. Okay. <laughs> you know, you don't want to turn in a bunch of fat cats that just go, oh, get the money, don't worry about winning. All right. Keep well, them keen. Keep them keen. Well, keep that in mind. Uh, and my and my other, my woman, uh, not Margot Robbie, but an Australian actress who in the last uh, probably four or five years has done some absolutely remarkable work, uh, mainly in, mainly known for one series, and that is uh, Succession, which is the uh, the much fabled, you know, uh, Murdoch family uh, series, uh, which has just got a, such a great cast of people who before this were virtually unknown. Uh, and Sarah Snook, who uh, who plays the daughter in it, um, is just a remarkable looking girl. She's got red hair. Um, she's a, she's a curvy girl. Um, she's married uh, to Dave Lawson, the Australian comedian. Um, so have been mates with him for years and during COVID they got locked down together and finished up getting married and having a baby. Um, and on Succession she is just so good and then I've watched her in a number of other things. First thing I ever saw her in was my mate Shane Jacobson's movie about the uh, the dog. Um, and I can't think of the name of the oh, movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was a good movie. Yeah. Um, what was it called? Um, it's the name of the dog. He's looking after the penguins. Wasn't yes, he? that's it. Yeah, yeah. It was a, the one, yeah. uh, the big. It was, uh, a good, it was a good family movie. It was a fantastic movie. She was in that. I saw her in that. We're not. She's really good. And then she was in a number of other films uh, she's done since then. I just watched a series on uh, on Netflix she did with Roger Corsa called The Beautiful Lie. She's so good in that. She's a great, great actress. Uh, and I'm sure she's going to do unbelievable things in the future. So she is my um, my woman of the year. 
So let me just summarise here, Kev. Mm. You've got the diamonds in at number two. Yep. And some fat red-headed chick that does a bit of acting is number one. <laughs> Thank you, Brian, for uh, that fabulous <laughs> summation. Um, <laughs> and- oh, very good. Yes. But can't wait to get married to change her last name from a snook. <laughs> to Lawson. No, no, she hasn't changed her name. She'd been married today for a while now. I think they're married. Maybe they're not married. I know. Um, Living in sin. And Dave, of course, in uh, Utopia and uh, the Toyota commercial with Stephen Curry. He's a very, very talented man himself. Right, a man of the year. Brian, who have you got? Well, I've got two. Okay. Who are they? Well, my number two mm-hmm. is Joe Biden. He's got my FW... Man of the Year award. Um, the other day, like the guy can't even say two sentences. Um, you know what was he doing the other day? He's, he's they had twelve thousand illegal immigrants walk through in one day. Oh, I think last Tuesday or something. You got a proxy war with Ukraine going. You got the Israeli thing, and. So we're giving $14 billion to Israel to help them. We're giving $120 billion to the Ukraine. Won't fix his own borders. And then not only does he give $14 billion to the Ukraine, but he gives unfreezes $6 billion to Iran, who's financing the whole thing. And then he gives $10 million to the people of Palestine, which Hamas just takes. So he's kind of financing both sides of both wars. And he's... Bidenomics has just been a disaster um, and the guy can't even find his way off the frigging stage. You know, like, <laughs> I go left, I go right, I, you know, and things like Sorry, you know, Brian, don't act like you haven't been there. <laughs> I fall off. I'm not going to look confused. Fair enough. Fall okay, off no, fair enough. But, but, you know, some of his great quotes like, America, hey, man, here's the deal. America can is a be summed up in, in one word. And that word is... That word is... Well, anyway, you know the thing. It's like, God, this guy, it's just, you wouldn't let him look after your dog for half an hour <laughs> and he's in charge of the nukes. You know, he's Afghanistan withdrawal. You know, it was the biggest, most embarrassing day in American history. All just right, about. so he's runner-up. So who the hell's the winner of the Man of the Year? <laughs> well, this is an easy one. He's a great Australian, and he's outsurpassed all of our expectations. Doing a great job at Tottenham, did a great job at Celtic, did a great job at Japan. I'm talking about Ange Postecoglou. He's my Man of the Year. How could you and I have the same Man of the Year and be so? Far off the mark with the runner-up. <laughs> <laughs> Good God. Because my interest in American politics is absolutely zero because it's just full of almost dead people and wankers. Mm, I mean, there was, a, there, was a time, there was a time when I was interested, but now I'm, I'm sorry. I just look at it and go, are you kidding me? It, 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 this is not a sitcom. This is actually real life. Just, it's uh, more like the bold and the beautiful. Oh, isn't it? Oh, Trump's got arrested today. Now Hunter Biden's got arrested. Yeah. Oh, and it's a threat to democracy. Oh, it's hilarious. Yeah. No, well, yeah, it is sort of. Right, Kenny, who's your man of the year? All right, man of the year. There's no runner-ups. It's a, it's an outright winner and um, uh, tossed it around with a couple of people and they said, oh, you can't do that. It's a little bit. Uh, oh, there hey, you go. But I'm, 
I'm going with it. And uh, look, looking back at the year that we've had, the year where many celebrated milestones in their respective careers, I want to nominate someone who's had a successful career in entertainment in this country for over 40 years now. Someone who always gives 100% to whatever they put their mind to, whatever their whatever role they're performing. Someone who knows how to entertain the audience. Someone who I, and as a fan, first and foremost, have personally observed, never knock back a request from a fan for a, an autograph or a photo or just a moment to have a chat. Someone who has watched others of his ilk, except Queen's birthday, Australia Day honours, and despite the fact he's equally as deserving of his own, on a personal level, someone who is fiercely loyal, has never forgotten where he came from, and has raised a couple of great kids. My nomination, in all seriousness, my nomination for Man of the Year because he just simply doesn't get recognised enough for, for being the great bloke he is, is Brian Mannix. Ah, uh, wow, that's better than an OAM. That's better than getting the Hollywood Showgirls Life membership. <laughs> Well, I wouldn't go Thank that far. I, I don't know that it's justified, but I certainly appreciate your thoughts. Ken's willing no, to do a lap dance if you if you ask nicely. Yeah, he wants eighty bucks for it. Though. <laughs> Eighty-five <laughs> for the extras. Well, no, I'm serious, Brian. We hear so many artists getting huge raps in this country, and and everything I say is true. You've never forgotten where you came from. I've never seen you knock back a fan. No, and. And all these things just go unrecognised. Well, you know, I don't think it matters what you do. I think that you always try to, you know, to treat people with respect. Um, and the moment you start thinking, hey, how about me? That's the moment everything turns to shit. Humility and respect for others is the key to happiness. I had a uh, conversation uh, with uh, the sponsor of our Life of Brian, dot, 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 Mannix, that is, podcast the other day, who was at the Birds Basement show. Uh, oh, yeah. And went backstage afterwards to say hello with his lovely wife, Catherine, and uh, couldn't have said nicer things about you, Brian, uh, in terms of uh, the way uh, you treated Mark and uh, and Catherine, and they were just they were just delighted to be in your company. Oh, well, that's very nice. and I, I, I really told them that you'd been kidnapped at half-time and a, an artificial intelligence version of you had been put in its place. But <laughs> Well, what they can do with these cyborgs now is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in fact, he kept going, where will we be in 50 years? <laughs> Might have been a giveaway, but Rabble. anyway. 50 years, crush, kill, exterminate. <laughs> uh, no, 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 go, no, nice call, Kenny. Nice call. Yep, that... Recognition where it's due. Well, I'm, I'm, I, don't, uh, I, don't, I don't think we need to get Finey back. I think we just have Kenny. <laughs> look, look at the work he's provided here tonight. It's yes, it's been sensational. <laughs> My man of the year is Ange Postacoglu too, uh, not, and not because I'm a Spurs fan but because he's done something that I think will pave the way for many, many others. We've never talked about an Australian in the English Premier League before. As a, as a coach and as a, as a manager and as someone who's shaping the way the game's played. So he's changing that. Um, yep. he's, he's shown, God and what, he's, he's shown some gonads in the last couple of weeks because they've been struggling, Tottenham. They've uh, decimated by injury, all those things that have happened. And he's just steadfastly said, look, I'm here to do something. I'm here to do this and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep, we're going to have little setbacks. And uh, they won 4 1 this morning against Newcastle, which was a yeah, terrific win. But, uh, uh, it's first time they've won in five games, uh, but he's just—he's been absolutely 
um, brilliant uh, and, and to be admired uh, the way he's carried himself. And my runner-up, and he only missed it by this much, is someone, and I thought you were almost getting towards uh, naming this bloke when you did the first half of your um, eulogy, sorry, your first half of your <laughs> your talk about Brian. We might need to reopen the death lines. Uh, no, only joking. Um, Peter Hitchener. I love Peter Hitchener. Yeah. I know, I know you do, Brian. I don't know anyone who doesn't. He is just such a lovely bloke. And whatever the, whatever, however this has played out, and it's got to where it is now, and he's doing weekends, and he's not doing the weekend, a weekday news anymore. However that came to be, you would swear blind they handed him the best lolly in the in the shop when he talks about it to anyone now. He's just mm. such a half full glass person. Um, yep. Uh, that he, he's just, it's impossible not to like him and it's impossible not to look at what he does and think, you're bloody good at it. You've been doing it for a long time, but you're still bloody good at it. And uh, and you haven't stuck your head up your back passage at any stage because you're just a, a likeable down-to-earth bloke. And blokes like that, I, uh, I you know, very much admire and uh, and love seeing them do well. I yep. heard, I heard oh. that um, he might be signing off completely. Yeah. I think that's happening very soon or it has happened. I think we're just going to have to catch up with Pete at parties. When okay. he, has, he has great parties. Well, some some of us get invited to them, others don't. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you, Kevin. Not wanting, <laughs> not wanting to put too fine a point on it, but anyway. Uh, yes. See, some people said, nah, a bit sucky, Ken, if you nominate Brian. But everything that you said about Peter Hitchener has been said and infinitum recently and well-deserved by Pete as well. Yeah. But you don't hear it about Brian. And Brian is all those things that we said about Peter Hitchener. And as I say, I think it's time to put on the record and say publicly, just, you know, what a decent bloke you are, Brian. And that people talk about it, which you don't hear, that when no. they're at gigs, that you always give your time to fans. And I think that's why you have that relationship with that fan that fan group that's gone on for such a long period and they still are so supportive of you is because you have that relationship with them. Well, I think the most important thing you can do is when you meet somebody for the first time, you know, say, oh, look, I really like your work or something to me. And I say, what's your name? Because you want to just establish to people, like, you know, this is what I do. Paramedics do work that's far more important than anything I do. And your name is just as important as my name. Yep. So, you know, it's, it's yeah, I, you know, I just think you, that's just a, a natural polite respect thing to do. Yep. Um, it's probably, you know, Catholicism or guilt, Catholic uh, guilt. No, it's, it's, it's the way you're brought up, Brian, which is a combination of your parents and and uh, where you went to school and all that stuff. But it's just it's yeah. just manners. Well, unlike you, Kev, I remember being at Keppel Island, straight Keppel Island, and somebody wanted an autograph of you, and you pulled a knife on them. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Brian, it just comes a time. Um, well, you know, it's ten thirty. We're trying to have your bacon and eggs. I can understand that the orange juice had got you cranky. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Don't get between me and a, me and the bacon and egg bar at a you know Bay Marine at a uh, at a resort. That's a, that's a very dangerous place to be, Brian. As you know, only too well. Well, absolutely, absolutely. Hey, that's it. We're done. 
we've well, named our we've, we've named our men and women of the year. We've uh, killed off a few people, uh, some of whom aren't even dead yet. Uh, and uh, hey, I give them a week. Yeah, well, correct. By the time we come back in twenty twenty four, many more will have passed. No, it's, <laughs> Do you think we could we could have another segment, Kev, called Death Watch? Oh, don't. Oh, no. Oh, God, we're not doing that. Who might be popping oh. up in the death alive? Oh, we're not doing that. Coming soon death to life. the death alive. Hey, wouldn't it? It's a wonder television hasn't done that, like done a show about, you know, now tonight we pay respects to, you know, um, X, y, to, to Ryan, Ryan O'Neill and uh, and uh, huh? Denny Lane and, uh, and Norman Lear. And coming next week, we're hoping <laughs> Keith Richard and... Uh, well... Just off the top of your head, oh, is there anybody that you would think you'd put in death? Brian, no, I'm not. I'm not. Joe I'm not. Biden, he could be already <laughs> dead. I'm sure, but he might already be dead. Was it They'd a, have his obit ready to go, wouldn't they? There was a famous joke, oh. and I don't know who who did it originally. But there was a famous joke that a radio bloke did in a at a conference once where he talked about John Laws had been dead for 10 years but it was in his contract that he had to stay on air. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and everyone laughed their heads off and everyone went, shit, that's possible, you know. <laughs> uh, and it is now with AI. You could probably do that. But, yeah, no, no, we're not doing a coming soon to the death of life, so that's not happening. It's called Death Watch, kid. No, we're not yeah. doing Death Watch. We're not doing it. We can do, right, we'll okay. do Baywatch. We'll do uh, any of not doing Death Watch. Um, look, sincerely to all the people who listen to this, and, and uh, last week this was the number 12 podcast in the in the iTunes episode chart. Um, so people still love listening to it, enjoy listening to it, and we, we still enjoy doing it. So we'll be back in 2024, I'm happy to say. Um, uh, Brian, thank you so much. Uh, wonderful contribution sometimes. Occasionally, occasionally. <laughs> There's a little gem there, um, and I tell you what, in 2024, I'm going to come back with a with a microphone. That'd again. be good. <laughs> because There's a concept. I was listening to the last week's show, and I'm thinking, "Crikey, this is real hard work listening to me." Which <laughs> is probably nothing unusual. Yeah. It's even harder work because of my sound quality. I keep anyway. getting I keep getting sponsorship requests from the Drain Man because he thinks that's where you are. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So no, seriously, Brian. Thank you so much. It's been uh, it's been fun all oh. year. We've had we've had fun. We've you know you mean finally we've had a good fun. time. Thank you, Kev. You do a great job. Um, you know this show with me and Finey could just turn into gutter gutter talk. Well, it does most times. <laughs> yeah, but you please pull us out of the gutter oh. and crack. And um, now you make it all happen. And um, I wish you and um, Sarah and the fam and. All your things are very Merry Christmas. Yep. Same to you, mate, and to everyone, Casey and everyone, and to Max. Uh, now, Kenny, uh, you're yes. the best you're the best off-the-bench person ever. Um, oh, thank you. Because we, we bloody give you hardly any notice and uh, bang you in, and you're bloody so well-prepared and uh, just love love what you do, mate. Um, uh, and you're one of the happiest people I know too, which I really enjoy. Um, lovely mm. having you on, and uh, we'll do it again. It's always a thrill to be asked. I, I love joining you guys. I love listening every week. So when I'm not here, I'm uh, listening like everybody else. Merry Christmas to the both of you and your families. And I look forward to uh, many more episodes of Rock and Roll in 2024. Absolutely. Good on you, Kenny. Thanks, mate. And Merry Christmas to you and your family and everyone listening. Thank you very much for your support. Good night, everyone. God bless. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. You've just experienced Rock and Roll. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. 